Can you imagine your life where money is your friend, working with you to achieve all your dreams and desires? If you struggle seeing money as your friend, then join Kathy Cook Noble, financial advisor and educator on understanding how your money can work for you. It is possible. Now, here is Financially Speaking with Kathy Cook Noble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Inspired Choices Network. And you are joining us on Financially Speaking. I am your host, Kathy Cook Noble. And every Monday we get together and we talk about something financial whether it's something that people have heard on the news or they're confused about, or whether it's something that they just need more clarification on, or sometimes it's stuff that they actually have never heard of before. And we make it very user-friendly because uh, we do believe here uh, at the Inspired Choices Network in general that people have the ability to control their life and to make it whatever it is that they want it to be. And specifically with what we do here in finance, we believe you can understand your finances and you can control your finances and you can have whatever financial future it is that you desire. Because the truth is we don't all have the same goals and keeping up with our neighbor or our our siblings or our relatives or strangers or the Kardashians on TV is not necessarily what our dream is. So we make it our own and uh, that's, what we do here and financially speaking and most of the topics that I get are because people have asked me about them either in my practice during the day as an advisor and bookkeeper or because they've written in or because I have a you know I bumped into somebody and we're chatting and they ask me about something so anytime you have a topic that uh, you're thinking why haven't why haven't they talked about this let me know and I will because uh, we try and take out the myth and the the fear of all the financial stuff and few weeks back we started a a small business series because uh, I share a lot I think about small business how important they are not just as a a huge huge contributor to GDP uh, but also as a huge contributor as one as the largest employer of uh, people in Canada where we're located but also across North America and what happened in this last 12 months almost to the day it's almost the anniversary of the pandemic quite honestly that I thought it was appropriate we talk to small business owners because we hear a lot about how important small business is. We hear a lot about how they're the wheel of the economy. We hear, especially during elections, how we're so focused on small business. And yet we have something like a pandemic and the, the biggest uh, population that's hurt is small business. And that's where a lot of the unemployment has come from is the small business. And we are super lucky to have somebody here today as a guest because uh, Rebecca Bredingham Felice is the owner and artistic director at a beautiful dance studio called Dance Extreme here in London, Ontario. And she is a sought after speaker across North America. And she's been around the world and, and uh, as, a, as a judge, as a counselor of sorts in this dance industry. Um, as an advisor to some dance studios, uh, certainly as a coach and mentor to a lot of dancers. Um, And she is, uh, in no surprise whatsoever to people that know her, has come through this pandemic as a trailblazer and advocate for the dance studios around the world and specifically here in North America. So for those of you who are listening in the United States, you may know Rebecca, Uh, You may want to know Rebecca, and if you're a dance studio, you definitely should know Rebecca, because around the world, she is the go-to expert, and here in Canada, she has not just been a leader in the pandemic on how to navigate through, she has helped 
right legislation to get people back open because as a small business and we define small business way back a few weeks ago about, and I've talked about it many times as somebody, as an employer under a hundred employees. Um, and as a, as an employer of a small business, she has um, taken some pretty cool measures to pivot her own studio and transition through the pandemic as she was forced to, because she is in the industry that was shut down 100%. No, Hey, you're going to be shut down in a month and you're going to be shut down four months. It was, it's time you're closed, say goodbye. And she had to transition very quickly and has a huge staff and a huge amount of people that she's responsible for that she was able to help navigate through this. So I thought, there's nobody else that we should have on this show except Rebecca to share how to do it. Not just, she did it in a very, very difficult industry, but uh, she also has a lot of insight into business that she'll be able to share. So um, Rebecca, welcome to Dance Hi, to uh, Financial I'm good. How are you? Fabulous. Thanks for joining us and uh, sharing a little bit about uh, well, we'll start a little bit about, you know, your history and how you got into dance. And, and I know you've been in it for uh, a very long time and know it better than anybody else. And maybe just share for those of you, those people who haven't met you yet, um, who you are and how you got started about your passion of dance. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I began my studio when I was 21. So uh very naive, very young, um, and I learned very quickly that being a female in business is not an easy thing to do. Um, I was dismissed by many men, uh, real estate agents, trying to tell me where I should be located when I had done my market research and knew exactly where I want to open my studio. Um, even trying to you know, figure out my lease and all the rest of it, it was a challenge. And um, so I think because of that, uh, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder when I started my business and being taken seriously, uh, dealing with parents and being 21, no kids, um, people feeling that I didn't know what I was doing. So fast forward 24 years later, um, my studio is the largest in London, Middlesex. Um, and I am a leader in the industry, um, teaching people about branding, social media, uh, business in general for dance studios. Um, but as well, when this pandemic hit, a group of us got together and created uh, Dance Safe Ontario. So we were told by government, if you're waiting for the government to come up with guidelines for you to reopen, uh, you're going to be waiting years. Uh, because doing industry-specific guidelines is going to take a really long time. So being the way I am, we jumped on it and created our own guidelines to move forward. So that is pretty much how the studio has evolved. I went from 3,500 square feet, and I now have a space with 16,000 square feet. I have approximately 30 employees. Um, and we have over 600 students who attend our um, studio each year. So, you know, I have a big responsibility to my community to, uh, to get through this pandemic. Exactly. 
Um, and you had, like everybody else, you were told we just moved into red, uh, full lockdown for two weeks and the doors got locked and you thought, okay, two weeks from now we'll be reopened. And that did not happen last March. No, so luckily for us, when everything started happening um, in Canada with the pandemic, we take a two week March break. So we were actually closed. So some studios had to make the decision to close their doors because they didn't know what was really going on. Um, we had just finished competition on the weekend. We had Monday classes and we were shut down. I actually flew out to Mexico on the Thursday before Trudeau announced not to leave the country. So on top of having to deal with all this, I was not in the country. Um, which made it more difficult with me trying to speak to my staff and figure things out because I was hearing things down there, which was mainly American news, um, but I was trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what was actually happening in Canada, specifically London, um, to figure out how we were moving forward. And we actually created an online DX at home for our students to the teachers videotape combinations and classes, et cetera, because we thought it was two weeks. We created activity sheets, coloring pages, you know, you name it, we created it. I'm emailing my staff at 2 a.m. from Mexico. We're getting everything online and we're like, we're set for two weeks, we're good. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> that did not happen at all. <laughs> no. So what, what do you do? And uh, what I mean, I know what you did, but share with us a little bit <laughs> about how you were able to, because that this is a year ago, like you have had a year, it's, it's hard to believe, but it has been a year and you have not had, it's not like, oh, okay, you reopened in there, you have it, like you are still in transition. Yeah, so um, I can say that, you know, a lot of people feel like the government's doing a lot for small business. It's not the case. Um, it, we're, we don't have the support. The money that has been lost can never be made up. And basically right now, businesses are trying to stay open. That is the support they're getting from the government. They are not getting, we're not putting money in our pockets. I am trying to pay my employees, keep my clientele and keep afloat. That's it. So after we realized it wasn't two-week closure, uh, we decided that for April 1st, we had parents emailing us telling us they couldn't make mortgage payments. They didn't know how they're going to put food on the table. I couldn't make people pay for dance classes. Um, some, everyone handled the pandemic differently in terms of dance studios. Some people had clients keep paying. They offered classes online. I couldn't mandate it. So we decided that we would take April payment and we would uh, move it to July. So if we went back in, we would move April classes to July. But what we did offer were Zoom classes for kids who wanted them and then parents paid for those individual classes. So the people who wanted the service paid for it and we provided it. Um, and then the same thing happened for May because we still weren't open. <laughs> So we left the, we said, okay, well, May payment will be for August 1st and we're gonna do our recital in August. We got a new date because we normally have it in June. 
And then when we realized we weren't going to be able to open for June 1st, we had to call the season. Um, too many people, you know, thinking that we were going to be reopened in the summer, wanting to go away, do things, whatever, um, and didn't want to commit. So for June, we did a pay one rate and take as many classes as you want via Zoom. Then we still weren't open in July, um, but we could open summer camps. So we, with very strict guidelines, we were able to operate our summer camps, which we didn't start until the middle of July, although we could have started them the end of June. We weren't ready, people weren't ready. Um, and we ran our camps last summer. Normally we have 40 to 70 children per week in our summer camps. They're very, very popular. Last year we had eight to 30 kids a week. Um, so our, our employees didn't get the work they normally get because we didn't need as many people. Um, so it was a slow summer. Uh, you know, we did everything because I was involved with Dance Base Ontario. I knew exactly what we needed to do. I was very confident in what we were doing. And we actually started our registration for September in June because, because I had been working with the government and knew what was going to be required. I had a pulse on what the requirements were going to be and I was bang on. So yeah. I'm very confident in offering our product going forward, how we always do registration in June. Um, so we did. And then we hit wave two <laughs> and yeah. it started all over again and shut down again. <laughs> yeah. And, and if I, if I could, you uh, just expand on what you said about the thing that people don't realize, and I don't think it gets the airtime that it deserves. When you're in small business, number one, even if you are an employee of your company, you do not qualify for the wage subsidy program that you hear about in the news. You do not qualify for any of the same employee benefits that the regular non-owner employees qualify for. And the revenue that you lose, even the money that, yeah, you hear in the news, there's these loans, there's some, there's a little bit of grants, but the reality of it is for small business, if you lose a month of revenue and you take on a loan to pay the expenses in that, you will never, ever, ever be able to say, well, we're just moving that revenue forward. The expenses people are moving forward, but they're not moving the revenues forward. And that's the part that, that frankly, I find the most frustrating in the press because they make it sound like, oh, but we're doing all this, but you cannot forward the revenue from the months that were closed, but you are forwarding the expenses. And that is how small business is getting upside down and why almost 50% of them are predicted to not reopen and have already started procedures for bankruptcies. Yep, so, so far in Ontario, 40 dance studios have closed permanently, will never reopen. So That's what I was gonna people ask. have to, People have to understand my rent is $20,000 a month. Yeah. So we have a massive space. So when the government says, oh, you can reopen, but you can have 10 people in your facility at 16,000 square feet, that's not helping 
small business. No. That's not helping. It's not based on square footage. They're picking random numbers and applying it to every situation, which doesn't work. So that is frustrating for business. Taking on debt to bring your studio through a pandemic is one of the worst things that we can do, but we don't have a choice if we want to survive because no. what's the alternative? That's right. That's right. And and I would even argue with the them saying that you're only allowed the 10 people or, or whatever it is that you're allowed to have in. Um, that actually is the least cost effective because your expenses stay the same. Plus you have all the additional expenses of equipment. And I'm going to talk to you about that after the break, because I want to say you didn't just reopen, you reopened with adjustments and adding PPEs and you did a lot of renovations, if you will, to an already beautifully just renovated facility. So um, we're going to take our first break of the night and when we come back, we'll talk to Rebecca about how she reopened and all the adjustments that you have to make, not just, hey, unlock the door and off we go. It's not quite that easy. And these are all things I think are, are so important to get shared. Small businesses are, I want to say they're suffering individually because there isn't really any, I know there's different organizations and bodies, but I don't see them speaking up as an individual business to say we are really suffering and this is what's really happening in the real world. So we're going to take our first break of the night. We've got Rebecca all night. Um, don't go anywhere. You are listening to Financially Speaking on the Inspired Choices Network. We have a special guest, Rebecca Brettingham felice from Dance Extreme in London, Ontario, Canada. And we will be right back. Too many of us get caught up in the unreal lives of reality television and complete to acquire stuff, which is setting us up to accumulate lots of debt. We're scared, confused, and don't know who to talk to. By tuning into Financially Speaking Radio Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook Noble, you'll learn tips you can use to improve your financial health, which in turn can improve your overall health and make for a very happy life. Live a life you can afford and enjoy. It is possible. Listen for Financially Speaking Radio Show every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is the Financially Speaking Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook Noble. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. 
You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email by sending to Kathy at bookkeepplus.ca. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Financially Speaking on the Inspired Choices Network. I am your host, Kathy Cook-Noble, and I have a very special guest with us, uh, Rebecca Brettingham Felice. She is the owner and artistic director of Dance Extreme in London, Ontario, Canada, but she is well-known around the dance world and dance studios around the world um, as a very strong leader and supporter of her industry, and she has been for many, many years. We have been doing a series on small business, and we have, uh, we're going to continue to do that because it's very important that, in my opinion, I'm, I'm a huge small business. I'm business. I'm a supporter anyway, but I, small business specifically, I'm a, a very big fan of family and small business. They are the, the wheels of the economy, and they, are, they get their, this general family and small business or small business lumping in the news, but there are a lot of faces that go behind these businesses. And I want to highlight a bunch of the faces that are working tirelessly for many, many years who have built their businesses, have struggled because anyone out there who's ever started a business, it is never an overnight success. It is 20 years or 10 years of planning and, and sweat and tears and struggles and try this and try that and go without paychecks for years. And, and when stuff happens and uh, you have to sacrifice, it's you that takes the first sacrifice as the small business owner. And there are more people out there that I think deserve to have some highlights and credit for the work they put in because it is not an easy job. And I just think that it's super important we talk to people like Rebecca who have gone above and beyond not just with with her people who she we haven't even talked about how fantastic she treats her staff and and takes on her uh her students and the parents and she worries about them uh it's like I I like to say it's like becoming being a small business owner is like you just adopted a thousand children (laughs) or 30 staff have become your kids and you worry about them and you're responsible for them. And then a pandemic hits and you have to make some swift and, and uh, sometimes tough decisions. Um, we've been talking about um, in our series and uh, we've talked about this color and I realized we haven't actually defined what it is. So here in Canada, specifically in Ontario, the Ministry of Health releases, um, they released a color chart, if you will, and it's a level of where you can be open and what you can be doing. So, for example, if you're in the gray zone, you're, you're in lockdown. That means you're not open. It's not, uh, it's not legal. It's not appropriate. And that is, that is where I'm going to say the highest level of uh, financial assistance comes from. So you're 100% locked down. Uh, and I'm not saying there's a, there's a huge amount of financial assistance. We've talked about that. But just as far as the color code, so we're, we're a color gray, you're locked down, you're not open, you're incurring 100% expenses and zero revenue. Then you move into what's called the red zone. And that is where you're, un, you're open under control, under small, uh, strict guidelines, small opening for allowance into your build, building. So your business is now a very small amount. It's usually 10 to 25% that your potential revenue could be 100% cost. Then we move into a orange code. So when we talk in our area or in Ontario about we're being in the we're in, in the orange code, we move, our district moved into orange. That means you're in a restricted. So you've got a few more allowances, 
to your business to open, you're still under a lot of restrictions, 100% cost and a little bit more revenue. But as this is happening, the amount of financial support is also decreasing. So you lose out on, um, for example, there's a wage subsidy that decreases. So you can get up to 75%, but that drops down as the, the colors get lighter. And then we move into something called yellow, and that is the protect zone. And protect is a little looser requirements, if you will. You can have more people in your facilities. Um, the financial support drops down again. And then once we hit the green zone, which we haven't seen for a very long time, but that is the prevent. And that's where you have all the, you're still maintaining the safety precautions and the new COVID uh, regulations and guidelines that you're, you're following. Um, you're now allowed to be back open, like uh, almost, I'm gonna say business as usual, but it certainly isn't business as usual. You've increased costs all along the way. You're now at a point where you could potentially have full revenue starting again. But you have to remember that all, all as the financial contribution decreases, your costs are not just staying the same, they're also increasing because you are now implementing new required regulations for safety into your facility. So you've gone months, in Rebecca's case, as a dance studio, you've gone literally months of 100% closure, no income, you're still maintaining expenses. And now we're going to add to that expenses so that you can open up in a small capacity so that eventually we're going to get you to a full capacity, but you're going to be uh, carrying along all your expenses with no revenues. And then we're going to add to the expenses because we now have new guidelines we have to follow. And then just to add to that, um, there's a bunch of hires that were just announced uh, today that are going to be inspectors coming around to check your facility to make sure they're COVID compliant. So, and, I, and I, I have no issues whatsoever with being safety. I have always been a safety first person in any business I've been involved in because there's nothing more important than the people you're working with. The challenge I have is we're going to deliberately go around and try and pick flaws with businesses who are lucky enough to, lucky enough to be allowed to open and we're going to find them. Now, when this happens, I, I hope, and I'm sure there's going to be some outcry, but how, Rebecca, does a business in your position, how do you handle this? How do you deal with this? So, as I mentioned, the dance safe guidelines that we created and submitted to the government back in May of 2020, the government received these, um, but they wouldn't give approval to any guidelines. However, municipalities handed these guidelines out to any dance studios that contacted them and asked for guidance, used our guidelines. The dance programs currently taking place in school. So even when we were shut down, schools were able to offer dance in school and they use our guidelines. So they're good enough for school, but not for our businesses. And this is where the hypocrisy happens and why people are getting so upset with what's happening with the government right now. We know our guidelines are strong and we'll keep everybody safe. So we, knowing that we are gonna be limited, we limited all our classes um, to allow for uh, three feet boxes for all our students. And we put two feet in between, sorry, three meters. 
and two feet in between each box to give extra space um, because that is what the health unit asked us to do. And we want to keep everybody as safe as possible. My studios are quite large compared to other studios. And in my studios, I can have 16 people socially distanced. And my large room, which is 1,200 square feet, I can actually have 24. But the rules are that I can only have 10. So we are, some of our larger classes we had in that big room, we had to split into two. So those classes now are costing me money because we've had to hire an extra instructor for all those classes. We had to cut our numbers down in our classes, add extra classes, using more staff, not increasing revenues. Uh, when we reopen, so during the summer months, we put an entire system in to help our parents feel more confident with, the, with what we are doing in the studio. So we put in uh, laptops in every room, cameras, and a Zoom system so parents could watch from home because we couldn't allow them in the studio. And so students could take class from home if they weren't allowed in the studio due to being in isolation. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing I, I wanted to touch on with you is um, most dance studios, now I know yours for a fact, is always kept clean and immaculate. And I think most dance studios do a good job at keeping their facilities clean and immaculate. I don't, I haven't seen the dance studios like you have around the world because you know I'm no dancer, <laughs> but <laughs> appreciate that people can dance. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> but uh, you spent time in, in a lot of studios over your time and you've seen a lot of different, uh, uh, different kinds of business models, if you will. Um, but your studio is always clean and immaculate, but you even went additional with your cleaning. And so adding costs once again, um, and you did it without uh, taking a breath. You did it because it was the natural thing to do and you're going to keep people safe and you always put that priority first. And this is the part that I, I frankly find frustrating is that people, they talk about, it, I hear it in the news and I think, but you don't understand that the people who are in business that is their whole life. It is like an extension of their body. And they take care of that better than most people take care of their own house. And you went above and beyond and you, you added more cleaning regiments to it. And now, honestly, you, you had to, in a sense, because you had to split your classes and do more of them. So your costs even grew more. You got a reduction and what's available for funding because you technically opened, but your revenue Not is nowhere really. near. Exactly, exactly. So these are things where I, I think it's important that they get highlighted because it's not portrayed in the, in the, the news, in the financial news, uh, certainly the way I think it should be. And, uh, and I deal with numbers every day and I know the, that the way they manipulate statistics and I'm not saying it's right or wrong on some of the numbers, but I do know that studying stats, there's a lot of ways people think the numbers don't lie and they are there. And that's true in a lot of cases. But when you start talking statistics and how you account for unemployment and, and the numbers you use for unemployment, they change. And, and for sure, these stats on small businesses, they scary, they're very scary. 
because when you're hearing reports of up to 50% of them not returning, it's probably higher. And it's, it's very scary because now you've taken, it's not 50 people that are returning, 50% of small businesses who employ an, an average of one to 10 people. Like that is a lot of population out of, out of business. And I want to ask you, because I know you've taken on a lot of, you've taken on the charge, quite frankly, and, and I really don't know what would have happened in the dance industry if you hadn't, because you understand it so well, you understand the industry and you've done such a good job up to this point. What happens to the studios that either just started or just took over buying a dance studio or a succession planned as dance studio? What happens to the ones who just got going and were just learning the ins and outs on how to run a dance studio? What happened to them? What's happening to them? Well, so a lot of them didn't qualify for any of the government grants. Same with any small businesses that started at the beginning or close to the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you had to be in business, I believe, for nine months minimum. You had to have books to show your difference of revenue from the April prior. If you weren't in business, you can't show those numbers. So it put these businesses, uh, quite frankly, in a terrible position, you know, mo the, the percentage of small businesses that fail in the first five years is pretty high, but these businesses didn't even get a fair step to start the charge. So um, many of them won't see through and depending where they're located. Right now, my heart breaks for the studios that are located in Peel and Toronto that since last year, those studios have been open for a total of nine weeks. Nine weeks they've been in person. The rest of the time, those children have been on Zoom. Those teachers and those kids are struggling. It is tough. People are trying to support their local dance studios and keep their kids engaged, but it is hard. We were shut down for six weeks. Our kids, after the, in this year, we told people when they registered in June, if we go into another shutdown, we will give everybody 20% off their fees and we will move classes to Zoom. And we kept our word. We did not chart, we gave everybody a discount for January and Febu February, although we came back um, partway through February, we honored the 20% for the entire month and we gave everyone that discount. Some people weren't able to do Zoom, but they kept paying to support the business. And so their children had somewhere to come back to at the end of all this. Exactly. So what have you seen? Because you deal with people every day, the parents and the kids. Um, this, this isn't just, uh, we can't go to dance class. What is this? Like, this is a way of life. Like, this is something that, like you, this is a way of life for people. Um, and what is this doing to their mental situation and their mental uh, state? Because it's, it's really hard to be in isolation anyway. But when you're normally in a very social and group setting, how are you finding the kids and the parents coming back? So I can tell you that everyone's handled the closures differently. Um, some of our students, the first lockdown last spring um, was terrible. 
I had um, group meetings and did group activities um, with different students every week and had a meeting with the parents at one point and broke down in tears because the kids weren't talking to their parents and I was seeing it and seeing them completely shut down and it broke my heart. Um, this shutdown most handled it better because we had an end. Well, we thought we did the first time as well, but we saw a more realistic ending to the shutdown. So it was an easier pill to swallow. However, some of the kids are struggling. They're struggling with online school. They are struggling with the change in um, how the high schools are um, structured now um, with one course or one course every other week, depending if they're in the public or Catholic system. Um, the kids that are in elementary school, you know, wearing masks, not being able to do group activities. Um, it's a different environment. And some of the kids are struggling with, they want to be with their friends, but it's just not the same. And that's what the kids keep telling me. So we do have, I give them time to talk and to say how they're feeling and to, you know, just act like kids because I think right now kids need to be heard um, and they just need to be listened to. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I wanted to ask you, do you know, because you were part of uh, a lot of the, um, uh, the structuring of the reopening for studios, uh, how is it, because you don't have a clear understanding of why we move from say gray to red or red to orange or orange back to red, like, What's the guidelines that they're using? So it is based on the percentages of cases per 100,000. So if we have more than 40 cases per 100,000, we'll move back into red, <clears throat> which we're not close to, but now we have more variants um, in London anyway. Uh, Chris Mackey announced that we have a 20 to 30% increase from the week before when we only had 5%, which is concerning because it spreads more easily. Um, and it's just the constant change for the parents. When we're in red, I need parents to fill out a Google form. Every time their kid comes into the studio, they have to fill out the form. When we're in orange, they don't have to fill out that form. And it's the constant changes for the parents. Um, they just get confused. And yeah. it's not an easy system to navigate and to communicate to your families. Um, it's just, and it makes it hard for the kids. So we try to keep things as consistent as possible. Um, and our measures are quite high compared to what is expected of us. So fortunately, when we do these color changes, not as much changes for my clients because we set high standards to begin with. For example, no parents are allowed in our studio unless their children are under six years old. Just to minimize how many people are in our building at a time, um, <clears throat> we made that rule from the onset. Um, and it has worked in our favor because as we change the colors, the rules change and it's just easier to keep one set of rules for parents and students the whole time. Um, what, what do you think is coming? What would you predict sitting here today 
almost on the anniversary date from when this whole thing started. What do you think is happening? I mean, I hear buzz around a potential lockdown in April coming up. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously none of us can say for sure, but what do you, what are you predicting in your particular industry, what you think is going to be happening and, and how are you preparing for it? So we predict a lockdown, um, talking to the people I speak to, doctors, um, people in the industry who are doing health and safety for the hospital, et cetera. Um, uh, it is predicted that there's going to be a third wave and a lockdown coming starting the end, end of March, beginning of April. We close for March break, which is now April break. Um, and, but we also take a second week. So we did inform our parents knowing this and predicting this, we will decide closer to the time if we will take the week before the April break or after, depending when the lockdown happens, so that we aren't using that time on Zoom and can save that time to be in the classroom as much as possible. So we aligned our March break with the new April break, and then we will take that second week during a lockdown if it is to come. Now, my hope is with the rollout of the vaccines, they had originally said that anyone who wanted a vaccine would be vaccinated by June 20th. Since then, Johnson & Johnson has been approved and there is a fifth vaccine now being possibly approved. And we received an additional 1 million doses of Pfizer coming in March. Hoping that this moves the date up for when everybody will be vaccinated and that this will help us minimize people's exposure. Um, and I have been told that once the first round of vaccines are implemented, that the color system will actually disappear and we won't have to deal with this colored system anymore um, because the chances of people being hospitalized and severely impacted by this virus will minimize and um, that will help businesses if that system is gone. Yeah, uh, so with bringing up the vaccines, um, how does that work in the dance studio world? Are, and, and I was just actually reading about this this morning on whether or not it can be made a requirement to have vaccines um, implemented before people come at the place of work as they were talking about. And uh, the discussion was around whether or not an employer can, can make it mandatory or not. Have you heard or have you seen anything that, that leads you to believe that most people are gonna be required to have this before coming back into a studio setting or where are they falling on the requirement there? Um, I don't. I don't see us making it a requirement for my staff or uh, parents um, unless government mandated. It's not something I would implement. However, I am going to fight for dance studio owners to be considered um, in line with teachers and caregivers to get the vaccine uh -huh. earlier than uh, their, age, their age category because we are with children all the time. We are looking after children. And I do believe that teachers and caregivers should be moved up the totem pole uh, when it comes to who gets vaccines first. Yeah, yeah. So you are, and, and that's, that's 
great for studios and, and uh, the parents that are listening because those who want it, um, they have somebody in their corner fighting for them. And you've been, you've already done so much groundwork that you're not starting over to have your voice heard. So if you can get that moved up, I'm certain that there'll be a lot of very grateful people. Uh, we have come to our last break of the night. I'm going to take our last break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Rebecca about what's next. What, uh, what happens um, once things are normal <laughs> or whatever we're going to consider to be back in normal in the dance world. So we'll take our last break of the night. We've been uh, very, very lucky to have Rebecca Bredingham Felice for the whole show. You are listening to Financially Speaking on the Inspired Choices Network. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Too many of us get caught up in the unreal lives of reality television and complete to acquire stuff, which is setting us up to accumulate lots of debt. We're scared, confused, and don't know who to talk to. By tuning into Financially Speaking Radio Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook Noble, you'll learn tips you can use to improve your financial health, which in turn can improve your overall health and make for a very happy life. Live a life you can afford and enjoy. It is possible. Listen for Financially Speaking Radio Show every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is the Financially Speaking Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook Noble. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email by sending to Kathy at BookKeepPlus.ca. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Financially Speaking on the Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathy Cook-Noble, and we've had Rebecca Bredingham felice tonight as our guest and as the trailblazer in Canada, frankly, and, and uh, North America for dance studios and helping them, uh, helping them stay in business, actually. <laughs> You know, people water it down in the in the press and they try and make it sound nice and, and friendly. And the, the fact of the matter is the businesses need help and people like Rebecca are out there every day fighting for them and helping set regulations uh, so that they can open their doors. Because if Rebecca hadn't stepped up, there's a very good chance the studios wouldn't be open again. So there's um, a lot of dance studios out there that uh, know Rebecca well. And um, she's kind of the rock star in the dance world. So for us, having her here is, is a huge, huge score for financially speaking. And I'm super grateful you came tonight. Um, what are you seeing on the horizon for yourself and maybe for the dance studios that uh, in the industry that you know that you're dealing with? So for dance studios in general, um, one thing that Dance Safe Ontario has done is we've actually now formed an association. And we have over 300 dance studios in Ontario alone who have joined. Um, and we are hoping that number will increase. That's just over the last three weeks when we started this initiative that we've already um, had 300 studios sign up because there is a need for dance studios to come together 
um, and move our industry forward. One of the initiatives we're taking on is getting the federal government to recognize dance as educational, similar to music. Uh, dance can be taken uh, post-secondary and you can receive a degree or diploma in dance, similar to music. However, dance has to charge HST. So we are looking to the federal government to remove HST from dance lessons for parents and this will help our industry with recovery because it will lower the price of uh, dance classes for families um, who are struggling to recover from this pandemic. And it will help uh, increase numbers for dance studios. So for Dance Safe Ontario, that is our next big push uh, with the federal government and even for the provincial government to step up and remove PSP until that happens. For my studio itself, we will continue to move forward using the safety protocols that deem necessary, um, reducing class sizes, uh, limiting how many people come into our facility, uh, our teachers clean between every class. We will continue to do all of this, keeping everyone as safe as possible, um, as our safety is our number one concern for our faculty, dancers, and families. Uh, in 2012, we were fortunate enough to perform at the 2012 Summer Olympics in England. And we would love to go back and perform at an Olympic event. And uh, it will take place in France in 2024. And it would be lovely if that was a possibility for us to be able to do. So, you know, um, trying to find positives and uh, try to find those opportunities for our dancers to perform, even this summer at outdoor events, et cetera, um, is what we're focused on. We're trying to, trying to get our dancers um, and our, uh, the staff and myself to always see the positive and look for opportunities and um, just trying to find the positive in every situation right now because it's not uh, always easy, but we can do it. Everyone can do it. And what will be involved for you to get to the Olympics? Is that uh, an invitation or is that an application amongst others? How will we get you there? So we, um, last time we um, connected with a group in the United States that um, has had quite a bit of success bringing groups of uh, vocalists, uh, bands, and dance groups to Olympics. And that is who we connected with in 2012. But then there was a process to actually get to perform at the Olympic, at an Olympic venue. So a lot of the venues are connected with the Olympics, but not an Olympic venue. We applied and were invited to dance at Olympic Park, which was a huge honor. Um, Kate uh, was actually at the Olympics that day that we performed at the uh, venue where we performed, which was amazing for our students. So we would like to um, obviously attend and perform at venues around the Olympics, but getting asked to dance specifically at an Olympic venue again would be a huge honor for myself and our students. 
That's fantastic. Well, we certainly wish you all the luck in that. And if I know you, you will make it happen. Um, we have about uh, two minutes left before our show ends. Uh, what is it, if anything, that you would like to share about either your dance studio or um, yourself that we haven't already talked about? Or if there's any message you want to give to other studios or other businesses in general that are out there listening? And also how, if they need to get a hold of you, they get a hold of you. Sure. So I would like to say for people, you know, there is a lot of talk right now about supporting local um, tourism uh, businesses. We need to make it happen as a society. We need, I know shopping at big box stores sometimes is convenient, but we need to make that extra effort and go out of our way to support these businesses. It is so important or they will not be there when this is over. Um, if you have a dancer who would be interested in taking dance lessons or coming to one of our eight weeks of summer camp, please feel free to visit our website at www.danceextreme.com for more information. You can email us at info at danceextreme.com or feel free to call us at 519-657-DANCE. And we would be happy to set up a tour or take the time to get to know you and your dancer and find out what program would best suit you and your family. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us. I'm so grateful that you were able to, to come on and, and share the insight. Uh, you certainly have been leading the dance world through this pandemic. And I know that you will be leading the dance world uh, for many more years on how to grow and expand and, and uh, restructure from uh, getting into the other side of this pandemic. So thank you so much for joining us. We wish you all the best and you're welcome to come back anytime and give us an update and share what's new in the world of dance. Um, this, has, uh, this has been uh, one of my favorite shows for sure. And one of my favorite guests to have. Um, and I've had family members, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it very much. Please join us uh, Monday nights. We're going to continue our conversation about small business and uh, invite other small business owners as guests to come on and share about their experiences. We have one coming up on someone who happened to start just at the start of the pandemic, opened his business, um, and a young entrepreneur and how he's navigating through that right now. So join us again on Mondays and we will be here every Monday night talking something financial to help everyone else through. Thank you for choosing to listen to Financially Speaking Radio Show. Kathy Cook Noble will return next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. We hope you'll join us. Until then, have the best week of your life by making the choices that bring you all that you desire.